mastermind groups have been going on for decades, but mostly for men. Men have been using masterminds to up-level their lives and business so they could get ahead faster. I started the Warrior Women Mastermind as a safe space for women to connect, share, and learn together. It's an incredible, one-of-a-kind experience led by me with a curated group of women I hand-select for you. Here's what some of the women are saying about being in the mastermind. Cindy writes, The mastermind group has given me a sense of connection with other women who share similar life experiences and challenges and are on their way to breaking through any perceived limitations holding them back. It's a beautiful and powerful process to share with such amazing women. I feel the powerhouse warrior women within me being nurtured and ignited into life. Leah says, I didn't know what to expect from the mastermind and it has exceeded every expectation that I had when I signed up. The group of women she has pulled together for me is amazing, supportive, and already I feel like we've connected with long lost friends. The waitlist for the Warrior Women Mastermind is open. The next mastermind groups will be launching in the fall. Go to lizswadek.com and sign up. That's L-I-Z-S-V-A-T-E-K.com. Sign up for the waitlist. Explore what's next for you with a group of powerhouse women who will become friends for life. Women aren't born warriors. We become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week, I'm interviewing women who, through tragedy and triumph, are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. Warriors, I am excited about this podcast because after my Resilience is BS solo cast, I felt like the word resilience needed a reframe, a little makeover. I got a lot of DMs about that episode and about the Kids Are Not Okay podcast, part one and two. We are going to hear from the teacher's side of things today as we welcome back Jen Rafferty, who was featured in the Kids Are Not Okay part two, episode 103. We started talking about teacher burnout and the great teacher resignation, and we continue that conversation here. And we get to a stunning conclusion. Jen's story of breakdown to breakthrough during the pandemic will resonate with you. We are going to redefine resilience today, discuss why comparison is death, and ask the question, can we have it all? The answer may surprise you. Excited for you to be listening today. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave us a five-star written review so we can keep these episodes coming. But first, ladies, money is not a dirty word. It's a great word. And I'm thrilled to tell you that the Broad Network is launching the Wealthy Women Summit, or WeWo. The WeWo Summit is not your typical conference with lanyards and cold coffee. Hosted by the Bra Network on August 25th and 26th, 2022, on the Sir Winston Yacht in Long Beach, the Wealthy Women's Summit is for anyone looking to expand their wealth in mind, body, health, leadership, business, and community. Join us for two impactful days 
where we'll dive into the concept that wealthy living is a mindset and commitment to a value of your own self-worth. You can learn more and get tickets at wewosummit.com. That's W-E-W-O summit.com. Let's talk about money and let's be wealthy women together. On the show today, Jen Rafferty, Jen Rafferty, or as I call her, Rafferty. Uh, Jen Rafferty is an educator, author, and public speaker on a mission to empower everyone to discover their voice. Founder of The Empowered Educator, presenter and author, Jen began her career as a middle school teacher in central New York and now brings her energy, humor, and expertise to all of her programs to help teachers avoid burnout. Her commitment to the teaching profession fuels her urgency to create teacher-centered professional development. She is known for her practical ideas, her passion, inspiring teachers to stay connected to their why. Jen is a certified emotional intelligence practitioner and is currently pursuing her PhD in educational psychology. Welcome to the show, Jen, or as I call you, as I just said, Rafferty. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to talk to you. I mean, I just love you. I'm so happy you're here. I could just, I mean, I've already started crying. I already have like tears in my eyes because I love you so much. And because I'm thinking of our favorite song from Wicked, which is for good. We just discussed how the Wicked's, Wicked soundtrack, the, the, the song for good is basically, you can't get through it. No, crying every time. Crying every time. Okay. I know you Rafferty, but I don't know you know you. So now we're really going to get in there. Tell me about your life growing up. I'm so curious. How did your childhood affect the woman you think you are today? So I grew up in Long Island and I came from... Don't you mean Long Island? Long Island. I know. I got rid of my accent really early, actually, unless I'm talking to my mother, then it comes out. I'm angry, you know. But yeah, I grew up in Long Island and I grew up in a community that was very much a keeping up with the Joneses sort of situation. And my family was not able to keep up with the Joneses. And that was very obvious growing up. And there was a lot of comparison and wondering, you know, where I fit in this world. I I never felt like I really fit in, but I did find my place in theater and that's where I found my people. And I was able to discover a new version of myself that existed outside of school and, and existed outside of maybe the standards that other people held for me. And I fell in love with music. I had this incredible calling to be a music teacher. I I always tell people that it wasn't, didn't even seem like a choice. It was more of a calling. And I pursued that. I came to Ithaca to get my degree in music education and vocal performance. And I discovered my inner hippie and I decided to stay in in Ithaca. And I never actually went back to Long Island. and, And that's kind of how I ended up here. But you know, early on, I I knew that while my music was really important to me, what was more important was the sharing of it Mm -hmm. and empowering people to find that themselves. There's something so inherent about your voice and a lot of people are afraid to use it. So yes, Yes. you know, you learn very early on, you know, I I can't sing or I'm not musical or I, I can't make music. And to me, that never made any sense. So my mission early on was always to inspire people to discover their voice. And that has served me really well as things started to shift and change throughout my life, throughout my career, and really been has been a beacon to where I'm going. 
I love that. I, I think about the keeping up with the Joneses, which by the way, we're still doing. I, this is what I love about us as human beings. We've already gone through the greatest level setting moment in our entire lifetimes, right? Like what could be more level setting and teach us that keeping up with the Joneses is absolute BS, except a pandemic where we all have to deal with it. Doesn't matter how much money you have. Doesn't matter what station in life you you are. You could escape it maybe for five minutes, but then you get COVID on your vacation. So you're not gonna, you're not actually going to escape it. But that whole comparison thing, as you and I have we know very well, Jen. That whole comparison thing, when they say comparison is the death of joy or comparison is the thief of joy, they are not kidding. They are not kidding. And as a child growing up like that, right, it just like fuels all this crazy unworthiness that's not even the truth, but it feels like that, right? It really did, which is why I was so grateful I found theater because I was surrounded by, especially girls, I was surrounded by girls who were half my size. You know, I, I didn't look like everybody else. You know, I was, t- I've been five, eight since I've been in seventh grade. It didn't fit in physically. I didn't fit in because I was smart. I didn't fit in because I had talent. I found this beautiful group of people eventually in, in high school who also did theater, but theater was really my saving grace. And I could be me and not worry about what everyone else was doing. We were all in this thing together and creating beautiful art together. That's where I found peace and an escape almost from that weird comparison, which it's so difficult to get out of unless maybe you're forced out of it to really see another way. Yeah. And it isn't funny. You hear that a lot. Like, and I remember that too, like the theater people were like a little family and a lot of them were kids that didn't fit in anywhere else. Like I don't make sense anywhere else except in this group, but they were the smart ones, by the way, they weren't trying to keep up with the Joneses. They weren't trying to do the thing that everybody's doing or shaming themselves for being whatever they were. They were just like, dude, I need a place where I can just let my freak flag fly. And if this is cool with you, it's cool with me. Like they were respectful of that. Right. Which is like all we want to do now. Right. All we want to do as adults is just be like, can you just see me for who I am and just accept me? Because I really am not into doing this dance. Like I'm too old for this now. So they had it right early on, those theater kids. For sure. And what's interesting is, you know, reflecting on all of that, despite being in a place where I could feel safe to let my freak flag fly there were still boxes that I put myself in because there were other roles that I needed to play. I was tall, right? I was smart. I was a good student. I, you know, had a trajectory that seemed to make sense for everyone else and didn't really understand the idea that I I could make different choices. So yes, that was a place where I could be myself, but even within that space, there were still expectations of who I was going to be and how I was going to present myself to the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we, you know, as much as people put us in a box, we can put ourselves in our own damn box and that's really a lot of time. Yes. I put myself in completely in a box. (laughs) I've been in a box most, most of my younger life for sure. Yeah. When all I'm trying to do is get my kids out of their boxes, by the way. So the pandemic hit everyone really hard, but I was really struck by what happened to you in the pandemic. So, cause it was just like so many extremes at once, right? Like kind of you had to in, reinvent almost every area of your life. So let's, let's talk about that time for you. Yeah. Let's talk about the most, that was no fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
yes. I, but in all seriousness, you've emerged out of that. Oh, a yes. different person with a new purpose or a more focused purpose, or you, or you kind of were able to embrace your purpose. So I just, I'm curious how that came about. Yeah. And it's important to, that I am also given the opportunity to talk about this because I think we kind of hide these things under the rug, kind of push it away because it can be ugly and uncomfortable, but you're right. This is the thing that made me who I am right now. And, you know, COVID hit everybody hard and right before COVID, I had published my book, which is really exciting. And I was like ready to go in that same month. I decided that I wanted a divorce from my husband and my marriage was over. And so there was this really big up and then there was this incredible down and January, 2020 came, I had this big, beautiful celebration of my book. I was on a trajectory to go off and do, you know, talk to universities and other teachers and this and that. And COVID hit in March, the very same weekend that I moved out, found my own house. And then I was now homeschooling my own two children and I needed to teach music virtually. I was no longer with my husband at the time and in this new space in a new community. And my grandmother passed away three weeks later. So a lot of the things that I was the day before, like identities, identities. Yes. My, a lot of the ways that I identified myself as a wife, as a teacher and as a music teacher, especially, you know, standing in front of your group of singers or a group of musicians is something that is very connected to, to who I was, you know, that's just how, you know, Oh, I'm a music teacher. That's just the first thing out of my mouth. That's who I was. I, I, I wasn't that anymore. I wasn't in my house anymore. I was now teaching my own children and everything was just up in the air overnight. And yes, I had to really come to a, a reckoning with all of that. And it didn't quite hit me until I started my PhD program. And it was so silly. It was just like, introduce yourself. <laughs> and you're I, like, Who am I? I, I didn't want to say, I just started wow. crying on my computer because, you know, everyone else was introducing themselves by their relationship to their work, by their relationship to their spouse or their partner, to their children. And here I was everything was kind of grounded for me, completely just, you know, clean slate. And I couldn't even answer the question, like, can you please introduce yourself? I, I, I didn't know what to say. So I started that journey of finding out who, not only who I am, but who I wanted to be. And that was a real turning point for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think <laughs> nothing is scarier then it's one thing to be like, I want a divorce. You're so proud of yourself. Like, I know this is right for me. Okay, great. But the, the letting go of that is like, well, now, now what? Like what? <laughs> like it's scary to let things go when you don't have something that you're like embracing as your new thing. And you're just in the process of figuring it out. Like that's a scary, that limbo place, that unknown place, which now you and I are both learning <laughs> through our program together, our coaching program that we've taken together to embrace that discomfort and embrace the unknown and to not like negatively look at the unknown, but maybe look at it as like, Ooh, like the universe maybe has something cool for me now. But back then you were like, what? Yes. I felt like I was floating all of a sudden. I was on such solid ground as broken as it was, which, you know, it was, I was floating, you know, at least my feet were someplace. And, you know, even with that, 
I was like, oh, great. You know, my sister's going to come up and help me move. And I have all this beautiful support. But don't forget at the beginning of the pandemic, I I couldn't even hug my mom who was down the road. We were all so frightened of this new thing and we didn't know what it was. And so I was alone. I was, I was alone and, you know, silver lining, you know, I, I was planning on distracting myself in all sorts of ways. uh, And I couldn't, I literally had to be alone with my feelings. And that ended up being a gift because I couldn't distract myself from feeling them. I actually had to sit there and feel them. Lots of crying, (laughs) so much crying, but it was, absolutely. It, it was, it really was a gift. It's amazing. Well, mm-hmm. I've talked about resilience being bullshit. I, I, I lit up the podcast airwaves. People were really had to tell me something. I like that word, Liz. I'm not stealing your word, but I wanted to question resilience because I think it's a word we use very cavalierly. Like we just say, oh, resilience, you know, she's so resilient. But you and I both agree on this. And so this is something that you've brought up many times in your posts, which I really saw and, and, and clued into. Resilience being bullshit is really what we're talking about is an emotional bypass. That's what we're talking about. So you can't just like think positive or be resilient and exact and then just embrace that and expect to just feel better. You know, that you cannot bypass the emotion. So, and you have to feel your feelings. So, and that's actually goes to your work, right? Burnout and teachers and feeling your feelings, which I'm sure they're just like, let me just roll into the next day and the next day and the next day, right? But let's talk about that, the emotional bypass and what you're trying to encourage you know, us and teachers to do. I kind of want to bridge this for a second, because I think this is important that, you know, we said before that my, my mission was to empower people to discover their voice. And despite all of this change in identity, I stuck with that mission. And that's actually what led me to this work, because even though I wasn't maybe doing what I was doing before, I can do what I'm doing now, which is having people talk about the things that we don't really want to talk about and really get them to speak up and speak out. And resilience is one of those things that people love to say resilience. I'm so resilient. I I think it's this false idea of just being strong and what strength means. Yes. And, And that's just inaccurate. So by, I'll tell you what happened. I remember I was, I was at the end of my therapy session years ago and it was, you know, another ridiculous thing that was going on in my marriage. And she says to me at the end of the session, she's like, Jen, you know, you're one of those resilient people I know. And I walked out of that session being like, are you kidding me right now? I was so offended that she said that to me because she didn't mean to offend me. She thought she was giving me a compliment, but I don't want to be resilient. I want to be done with feeling like I need to constantly push through. I want a different way to experience the hardships that are going on in my life and not just suppress and repress and say I'm fine. And that means that I'm resilient. That's crazy. Yeah. So I still clearly have a visceral reaction to that word. I know what you mean. I have that too. Like people are like, you're so resilient. You know, Coco has ulcerative colitis and Lana's is an ADHD. You had to move schools. And my God, you spent Christmas in the, you're so Christmas in the hospital. You're so resilient. I want to be like, no, (laughs) like, I don't want to be resilient. I would like to be able to have these experiences and not feel like I have to be strong and I have to be, and I have to get it, uh, get through it a certain way in a certain time, which is usually brief. People don't want it to be long, you know? So yeah, I have totally identify with that. Yeah. And I think that's just it, Liz. It's this idea that you go through these hardships in a certain way m- makes this 
resilience practice or something. I just don't understand it in a way that's helpful. To me, that word is becoming toxic for me and perpetuates ideas and and feelings and symptoms of things like burnout, because then you get to wear the resilience badge, right? And you're like, but look at me, I'm so resilient. And meanwhile, you're just screaming on the inside, waiting for things to change. But you know, things aren't going to change. The thing that needs to change is you. And so being resilient puts this bandage on that you're not actually solving anything. You're not creating a new way. You're not creating a pathway for you to feel any better. You just get to show people how supposedly strong you are while you're drinking at night and overeating, and then you can't sleep and nobody wins. Nobody wins. And you don't learn anything by the way, you know, I'm strong and resilient and just bypassing the emotions. If you don't let yourself feel the feelings, go through the emotion. You don't get to the other side. And by the way, you and I both also learned that you can, if you want to block those horrible emotions, those really tough emotions, guess what? You're also blocking the joy. You become numb. Suddenly you're like, I want to love on you Rafferty. And I don't feel it because I've numbed myself. I've armored my heart and I've numbed myself. So you can't just choose like, I'm going to have the good feelings, but I'm not going to have these bad. You can't pick and choose. You got, that's life, right? You have deep feelings and sad feelings and things you got to go through. And then you got these joyful feelings. And if you cut one off, you cut it all off. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. I think that's a really good way of actually defining resilience is cutting off the feeling. And I think you said that earlier, it's just emotional bypass, but you know, you don't get to have one without the other. Yeah. And if you're not feeling the ones, the feelings that make you feel uncomfortable, you're not going to be able to truly understand what it means to feel joy and bliss and excitement. You're just so tired. Yeah, you're, you're exhausted. Just what everyone's telling me, by the way. I'm exhausted. Just, and, right, I'm exhausted. And that's because you're resisting. Because you're resisting because you think you're resilient and it's causing you to feel exhausted. So let's lean in a different way. And that's really what the work that I do with teachers and with school leaders about burnout right now, because, you know, it's, it is constant. And they're, unless they are able to look in, and do this work, there is no way out. And that's what I'm, I'm noticing is that the the teachers who are able and the school leaders who are able to look inward can find ways to make change. And the teachers who aren't are waiting for change to happen. That's just how it works. That's just how it works. Schools. I mean, just like you've talked about, they're facing extraordinary challenges right now over the last two years, but Perhaps the biggest of all is still to come this year, because now it's not just about, you know, getting through the pandemic. Now it's about, can we stop the great teacher resignation, which is every single state is reporting. Oh my God, I have so many people resigning this year. We are going to be in a deficit next year or even now. What is it going to take to attract more teachers into a field that is shrinking? And by the way, Are they ever going to pay these teachers? Like, do they not realize that that, like, let's just start there with paying them what they're worth. That, that, that could be a start, but what is it going to take Rafferty to to stop the great teacher resignation? Yeah. Well, money is, is the first thing, you know, I I, I totally agree. It's money. And, you know, I stepped out of 
teaching, not because I was feeling burnout, but because I felt that my impact in doing what I'm doing now is actually more aligned with my vision than what I was able to do in the classroom. And I, I want to make that clear because it, it wasn't like I'm this, I'm a burnout teacher and I'm done and I'm, I'm ready to kind of to move on to the next thing. Teaching has been my life and it still is. I just get to do it in a different way. But being on this other side, I have a different vantage point of, of what's going on. And in addition to the money of actually paying you know, these brilliant minds who are shaping generations, you know, what their work is worth. There needs to be a restructuring of what schools look like. And I know you know this very well with, you know, the decisions that you made with your own son. You know, during the summer of 2020, I kept my rose-colored glasses on like I always do. I facilitated many conversations with teachers all across the United States about reimagining specifically music education because that was what I was still doing at the time. And what I found was that the, the people, the teachers and the school leaders who were leaning into this new change were able to pivot and actually reflect their work to what was actually going on now. The teachers and school leaders who were clinging on to old ways were not as successful during this transition time of online learning, of this hybrid virtual thing, because we were fitting a, you know, square peg in a round hole. That's just, that's like the story of, you know, a lot of what this is right now. And, you know, schools, the way we know them now, were set up in the early 20th century to reflect the Industrial Revolution. We are literally not in that world anymore. And the systems that are created to educate our children are over a hundred years old and have not changed significantly in that time. So while I was here being like, no, no worries. We're not going to do things as normal. There's a crisis. What better way to make change than during a crisis? We're all a you know, clean slate. Let's do it. And unfortunately there was a lot of just twiddling our thumbs until someone made a decision. And then it was back to school as normal with masks, some with masks, some with not masks, but the significant changes never actually took place in the majority of places. Of course, there were some schools programs who were able to make great change and are doing wonderful things that are progressive and new and exciting and innovative. Generally, the majority is changed. exactly the same. Right. So and, and worse and worse. worse, the kids are different. So now the kids are different. You thought they were mentally unglued before. Now the kids are not okay. I did that whole podcast with Dana Kaplan about this. The kids are not okay. But now you know what you've done? You just resumed as normal. You've just resilienced your ass back to the school. All the workload is exactly the same. You're doing things the way you've only always done it, except the kids are mentally unglued. And I have to say too, the teachers are mentally unglued because 100%. this is a big part of what's happening is that now school systems are saying, oh, wait a sec. Well, in some states, but that's like another podcast. Uh, some states were saying, okay, social emotional learning is really important for the overall well-being of our kids, but there is no focus on the adults that are in schools. You can't teach beginner Spanish if you don't have conversational Spanish skills, you cannot teach social emotional learning to kids if you yourself do not have self-awareness and self-regulation skills and the ability to show up emotionally the way that you want to. 
teachers and school leaders have significant trauma as well. So when a, a kid who's going through it triggers a teacher who's also going through it, yeah, let's just resilience our way out of that one, guys. I mean, like that's what's happening right now. So, you know, I see this as, yes, there is an emergency because teachers are leaving. However, we also have to foster fertile ground for the teachers who are staying because things need to change for them too. They need to be taken care of in a way that right now there just aren't, they don't have the resources for it. Yeah, it's a paradigm shift. And, you know, even the school where Coco goes, the teachers are treated well. It's, mm-hmm. and, but there's a difference between, like some of these teachers have been at the school 25 years, 30 years. There's a difference between the teachers being treated well or paid well and treated well in their well-being, right? Mm-hmm. Like at my, I've talked about my son's school. It's called the Muse Global School. You should look it up, everyone, if you want to see a different way of going to school, project-based learning, passion-based learning. But these teachers bring their dogs to work. <laughs> they have their dogs. They have their coffee cup. They're, they're in a lot of conversations. It's not that they're not following school standards in the curriculum. They're doing all of that. But the way they're doing that is they're connecting with these kids. And they are allowed to take breaks. They are allowed to you know, say, okay, I'm going to break you guys off. And they have a lot of freedom in the curriculum and they're not feeling that need to just hammer these kids to get like the test in the, then the material, you know, part of that is also what is the curriculum? Are you having to achieve these certain milestones? So you've got to toe the line. You've got to hold these kids feet to the fire. Like, what is the point of doing 30 math problems? There is no, no point in taking and having a child go home and do 30, three O math problems when they can show you in four. This is the old ways, right? This is the paradigm shift. The, it is. Both of these, it's like two drowning people. The kids are drowning and the teacher's drowning and they're just jumping on each other's backs. Who Everybody's sinking. So there has to be a paradigm shift. And that also has to come from the parents who are over here still trying to drive that Ivy League train and say, oh no, if they're not doing 30 math problems, what are they doing the rest of the afternoon? <gasps> oh, you don't want a child in your house with nothing to do? Oh, okay. It's across the board. It really is. And there's two things I want to comment about that. You know, one thing that you said was teachers are drowning. So they actually don't have the cognitive ability to make other creative choices and problem solve because they can't. They're surviving. They're They're surviving. surviving. They, They actually just can't. And then the other thing that you said that I want to comment on is, is, you know, parent involvement here. There also seems to be this very now visible culture of not trusting teachers to do their jobs. So there's this micromanagement that's happening on a, on a very public level that, that teachers can't be trusted with the children that we want you to have the children because we don't want them at home, but we don't trust you. So we're going to tell you what to do. And again, this isn't everywhere, but this is like very uh, topical what's happening right now in in some States. And, you know, in in most places, you know, I I had to get a master's degree before I even stepped foot into a classroom. You know, I, I don't know who could possibly tell you more about your kids than the teachers that work with them every single day. And that level of trust needs to be there in order for teachers to really effectively do their work. And again, we're talking about 
our children. We're talking about these future generations and what are we teaching them right now? We're teaching them resilience. We're teaching them that their trauma doesn't matter. You know, we're teaching them that it's not safe to share. We're not creating spaces for them to feel comfortable, feeling vulnerable, and we're not modeling it as the adults. We're teaching them burnout. We are literally teaching them burnout. burnout. Teachers are teaching our kids burnout and it's not even their fault because they're burnt out. And we are teaching as a society. That is the only way to do it. You have to burn it out, man. You got to be exhausted and tired. You got to do three sports. You got to do theater. You got to do all the homework, the 30 problems, and have an English test and have a math test. And you got to, I mean, you got to toe the line. That is what we're teaching them. We're teaching the kids burnout. And then what? You know, and that's dire. And that's, it's just simply not acceptable to me, you know, which is why I, I wake up every single morning and I have this incredible sense of urgency because, you know, the, the program, like I said, is, you know, empowered, empowered educator, because like you said, teachers who experience burnout are teaching kids burnout, empowered teachers empower their students. That's what I want. That's what everyone wants. And we don't get there through pushing through and being resilient. We just don't. I'm sorry to your listeners who love that word. We're going to change the word. We need to reclaim or keep the meaning and use a different word. Couldn't agree more. A lot of women I work with have a real fear around having it all, right? It's a very taboo thing. It seems like our beliefs are telling us, oh, well, we can't have it all. Or they always make the joke. Well, you can have it all, but not at the same time. You know, like we're trying to like dance around this. We can have it all thing. This is something I'm only just dealing with, meaning I'm moving through this and, and coming to the belief that I can have it all. And that it's safe to have it all. I mean, that is holistic success. When we think about holistic success, like the definition of that is having it all, right? Having a relationship, being a good mom, having work that serves you, having time to relax, having time to vacation, having time for personal growth. That is holistic success. And that is having it all, health, wealth, business, personal. And it's available to everyone. I just want to say that right there. Tell me. Rafferty, do you believe that you can have it all? (laughs) You're trying to make me cry, aren't you? Yeah, this is something that is fresh for me. And until recently, I would have said no. That was something that, like you said, I was brought up with was, well, you can't have it all. It was such a flippant comment, you know, and I would say that. I, I would say that to some of my friends who were struggling with this or that. That would be my response. Well, you can't have it all. And the truth is, you absolutely can. And I think that there are, I'm still learning this, but there are a couple of things that I've I've learned recently along the way. And the first thing is gratitude. And radical gratitude. Radical gratitude. Because when everything is on fire, it is really difficult sometimes to feel grateful. And you don't have to feel grateful for the fire. That's not what this is. That's toxic positivity. That's BS. That doesn't make any sense. But when you're sitting in that, and you've actually given me this analogy, you look for the door and you can be grateful for the door. You can be grateful for the other things in that room that are giving you that joy, that oxygen, if you will, because in, in the reality, not everything's on fire. 
And when we focus our attention on the things that are beautiful and joyful and bring us peace and calm and happiness, then we actually start to shift our mindset into, oh, wait a second. Not only is it safe to have it all, but I actually do already. And that shift, I'm getting chills because this is, like I said, is kind of still new for me to kind of embody this, but that's something that is a radical shift from what I used to think and what I think a lot of women and especially women teachers think that you just can't have it all. And that's just simply not true. It's not true. And that the door that you're pointing out and the work that we've talked about is, you know, it's, I think it's called the law of polarity where you look for, like, if you're in a situation and there's a fire, right? The tendency is I'm going to stare at the fire, right? Like, I'm just going to use Landon as an example. Landon's at this school. He's telling me he wants to commit suicide. He's telling me that the work is killing him. He's telling me that no matter how many times he emails the teacher, he still doesn't understand exactly what they're talking about. Or he thought he handed in this thing. He didn't hand it in. He doesn't want to go to school. He's upset. If I just focus on that fire, how am I going to find the solution? How am I going to gain perspective? But if I see that fire and I say, okay, I see that. It's not like I'm going to ignore it because it's a fire. I see it. It's right there. But if you look behind you, maybe there's a door. Maybe there's something that you didn't see before. And when you are able to pull yourself off that fire and look behind you, sometimes the thing you see is amazing, which was for me, we're going to change schools in the middle of the year. And you're going to go to this project-based, passion-based school where you have seven people in your entire class and it's in the mountains. That was the door, right? But I couldn't have seen that if I had just focused on what his current state was, how he was feeling, all the energy that he was putting into being, you know, just distraught, frankly, if I had just stayed there, I would have never found anything else. So I think you're exactly right. Like when there is a fire like that, it's not that you don't know what's happening or that you're going to ignore it, but to be able to also say, what is this teaching me? What is this here to show me? What is the zoomed out lens on this situation. And again, when you're right in the beginning of it, of course, you have to deal with the fire. There's, what can you do? You have to kind of deal with it for a minute. But when you can zoom out and say, what is this really, what's really going on here from a higher level? That's when all the creativity and all the potentials exist for you. And that's when you really can say something like, even with this damn fire, I have it all, man. I got some radical regret. Thank you. Thank you, Landon, for telling me. Thank you for not committing suicide. And telling me, right? Thank you for telling me the truth. Thank you for sharing with me. Thank you for believing that I could receive that. And, and thank you for being willing to change schools. Thank you for opening your mind to, oh my gosh, I'm not going to just take all this negativity and take it into this new place. I'm going to be open to a new place and a new space where they will accept me. So Look at that radical gratitude, right? Look at that. And then all of a sudden you have it all. You just do, you have it all. Yeah. Like, you know, there's that meme, right? Of the dog in the fire. And he's like, it's fine. Everything's fine. You know what I'm talking about? No, but, but oh. I'm going with you. Go. Okay. I'll say it. it's, okay. it's out there. Dog, fire, it's fine. You know, that, that floats around a lot too. The, the difference is it's, it's not fine. I'm fine. I'm fine because I know that I can find the door. And then the, the other thing that you said, Liz, that I think is so important too, is this idea of holistic success is understanding that the, we get to redefine what success means. 
I think that just drives people so hard into the ground of, well, I don't have it all because this definition of success tells me that I don't. And that puts people in boxes that they're, they don't even realize they're in and constantly wanting for what they don't have because of that simple untrue definition of what success can truly be. Oh. And that's also something I'm, I'm coming to realize now, because in your story too, using that old version of what success means, you could easily, boom, I'm a mess. I'm done. I'm fires everywhere, push through resilience, your way through the situation. But all of a sudden you change and, you know, you just share this beautiful gratitude that you have. How much success do you have? Right. I mean, that's, beautiful. You have this open relationship with your son who's comfortable talking to you about these things. You have the ability to make choices about where you send him to school. You know, I mean, there's, there's so much there. Yeah. Isn't that success? Yeah. And that's richness. That is richness, right? That's the fertile ground you're talking about. And our, just our definitions of success are just like the school systems you were talking about, right? It's this industrial revolution, 20 year, 200 years ago, whatever definition, very narrow definition of success. And as women, we weren't even in that definition. We weren't even included. (laughs) We we were supposed to be actually making the success happen for the men. We're supposed to be over there showing up at the door with our aprons on, you know, looking really good with the roast, right? Saying, did you have a good day, honey? So like, we're not even in that definition. So if we're not even in that original definition, shouldn't we redefine? Yeah. We're not even in it. And, and then, you know, of course that, that pulls into the whole, what is a good teacher? Right. And I hear that a lot in the work that I do of people knowing that there could be another way, but um, afraid because of what it's supposed to look like or what they they think they should be doing. Even something as simple as this comes up a lot, you know, especially now with, you know, kids are, you know, feeling so much trauma and they're triggered in ways that we, we weren't expecting before. There aren't very many resources still in a lot of places. And so, I, you know, I, I hear this a lot. Teacher says, I really need to call my principal for help with a particular student, but I'm afraid that they're going to think that I can't handle my class. So I don't call. Mm. And it's so interesting to me because a successful teacher in their mind can handle whatever situation happens in class. Doesn't ask for help. Right. And so a simple reframe of what that success looks like is I am a confident, competent teacher that asking for help is actually part of my classroom management plan. I know that I actually can't give what that student needs right now because I have 20 other kids in this room who also need this other thing. So the best thing that I can do for this kid and the other kids in my room is call for help. And then all of a sudden with that shift, there's a fire, but we see the door. We're grateful for the ability to make the call and then everything changes. And and that reframe is the difference between burnout and feeling empowered. Yeah. And let's talk about that because you have a lot of, how can people work with you? Because you've got a lot of different, I saw a bunch of events that you do and you kind of do them semi-regularly so people come in, come on alongside you. So tell us about some of the things you're doing and how we can work with you. 
Sure. So I work with teachers and school leaders and I provide a lot of professional development and I work with school districts. A lot of times they have me come in and, and work with the teachers in, in their programs in their schools. But I also do a lot of programming that's open for everybody that I host myself. So I have something about emotional intelligence coming up soon. I actually have something specifically about burnout at the end of March. I'm not sure when this is going to air, but that's going to happen again soon. Uh, summer program about empowered educator concepts. And really it's combining mindset, emotional intelligence, and cognitive neuroscience and you know, research-based things that are able to not change. We're not changing the worlds. You're changing yourself and taking back your power and understanding your agency in all of this, because it's so easy to just blame everything for how you're showing up. This really gives you the tools to be able to show up the way you want to and inspire kids. Do you know, no one went into teaching for the money. <laughs> so God, no, no. So reconnecting to the reason you wanted to teach in the first place and find a renewed sense of purpose and an agency for you to continue to work towards that. So you can find all of that at jenrafferty.com. Super simple. And uh, you can go ahead and book a discovery call with me to find out how I can specifically work with you and, and meet your needs for your professional development. Okay. Awesome. I'm going to put all those links in the show notes. And I just want to say, before we get to the speed round, because we got to do our speed round, it's a good point that you're making that it has to start with the person because people change culture. That's the way it works. Like when people change culture changes. So once we are awakened to this, it starts with me kind of a thing then, you know, and these teachers, especially, and they learn that they can ask for help, then that's when everything is going to change. So it is, you know, it's, it's going to be a paradigm shift, but, but we're not in the speed round, Jen, it's happening. Let's do it. Yes. Okay. What does it mean to you to be a warrior woman? I am a warrior woman because I busted out of the conventional box that I was in. Yes, you did, Jen Rafferty. Boom. Boom. Yes, I- Mic dropper. Yes. Love it. What's a mantra or quote you live by? So this is actually something that's on my desk that I look at every single day and it's a roomy quote and it says, yesterday I was clever. So I wanted to change the world today. I am wise. So I want going to change myself. Ah! Yep. Yes. I love that. That's like literally the theme of this whole podcast. What makes you feel unstoppable? The thing that makes me feel the most unstoppable is my beautiful tribe of women, my soul sisters. You know, I have been very fortunate in knowing some fantastic women in my life and I make community with them because the more that we support each other, you know, high tide rises all ships. And that is something that I hold near and dear to my heart and truly does make me feel unstoppable. I love that. I love that. Mm -hmm. What are you most proud of? Hmm. I have learned to trust myself, especially in the last couple of years, I've had to make some very difficult decisions in busting out of my conventional box. And I have learned that my intuitions never let me down. I'm very proud of trusting myself. I love that. Yes. What's exciting you the most right now? So as a former control freak, I am obsessed with the idea of infinite possibility and potential. And I can honestly say, hand to heart, I love not knowing what's going to happen next. I am so excited about that. And 
that is a transformational statement for me to say, but that excites me all the time. That is a quantum leap for you. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) That's a huge, it's a huge thing to be able to get in that space and to really mean it. That's amazing. Really mean it. I mean, look, Liz, I didn't even know you a little while ago. You let me in. Yes. And you let me in and here, you know, having this beautiful conversation. And if I were to continue to try to control all of the things, I would have never been open to do the things that led me to even meet you in the first place. So I'm leaning in. I love not knowing what's going to happen. I love that journey for you. for coming on today. I adore you. This is like one of my favorite conversations. I am so excited to share this with everyone. So thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you so much for having me. I adore you. I love your face. Okay. Thank you everyone for joining me. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star written review. This is the Conversations with Warrior Women podcast with me, Liz Swadek. And remember, every woman has a story. You just need to ask her. Bye.